Hello, coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country Live Video Podcast. Every every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Hello, coffee lovers. It is 1900. What's going on, Frank? And uh, I'm just trying to get my tech squared away here. I'm a little bit, uh, I had plenty of time to do this, uh, but I'm still running a little bit behind. So I um, just want to make sure that all my volumes are off on all my other devices over here. And um, once I do that, then we'll fire this puppy up. And, um, and then uh, get it going. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> tonight's guest is a business guru. Uh, he's co-author to uh, a book called Unleash Your Humble Alpha. And he is also co-owner of a veterans group that is over 15,000 members strong called the Vetpreneur Tribe, which is made up of all veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, some are uh, retired, some are just veterans, some are still active duty incredible group uh, that that really helps uh, lift one another up uh, in a way that we really should. So before we get started into the meat and bones of everything, uh, first off, I had to pre-record the interview with uh, Steve Kuhn because uh, he lives in Hungary, close to Budapest. And so it would be like three or four o'clock in the morning by the time we got done. And and uh, that's not that's not fair to him or his family. So I recorded it earlier in the week. Uh, and I'm going to play that, but I've got a couple of things that I really want to talk about first. Uh, first, I thank God for just all the blessings that he continually pours down on us. Um, I know I don't deserve it, and I never will, but I'm very grateful for a God who loves me where I'm at, who who the person that I am with all my faults, and, and I sin constantly, uh, but he still loves me. And he, even when I was in my sin, he gave his life for me. So thank you, God, for all the blessings. Um, we've been really, really, really blessed to be able to plan a trip to go to Honduras to do some mission work. Um, we're going to be helping with a church and a local community uh, on Legacy Farms. Uh, Legacy Farms Coffee is where I get my coffee from, uh, for mo most of it anyway. And uh, they are literally, uh, Ashley Williams and his family are literally the hands and feet of Jesus down there, um, giving these people some basics. Uh, so that being said, the other thing that I really, really want to ask for ever, all the prayer warriors out there, anybody who's got prayer groups to enact them and to keep my cousin, I'm going to put his name in the, in the link here. Uh, it's Roman Chapa. And uh, he is um, he's a jockey, and he got in a really bad accident uh, week before last in uh, Georgia, fell off the horse during the race or whatever, and, and got beat up pretty bad. He's got a broken clavicle and broken ribs and a broken back, and he's got brain bleeds. They had to innovate him last week, and he is um, – he is – uh, just his wife is by his side, but he's completely sedated. 
um, and uh, there's been no improvement, but by the same token, uh, he hasn't uh, had any, he hasn't degraded or anything like that. So uh, just keep my cousin in your, in your prayers and your prayer groups um, for the duration. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure how long that's going to be. Um, so what I'm going to do now, because I didn't do it earlier, is I'm going to launch the video that I pre-recorded. All I'm, right. Let me. Welcome to the show, Steve. I'm glad to. Let me pause that. Okay. Now I'm just going to share my screen with you. And then we'll fire this puppy popsicle stand off. Okay, let's go right here. I think All right. Welcome to the show, Steve. I'm glad to, uh, to have you on. Uh, I've been, uh, Steve uh, Kuhn is a, he is one of the uh, facilitators, owners, whatever you want to call it, of a, a Facebook group called um, the Vetpreneur Tribe, which uh, I believe is over 15,000 members now. Yeah. And, um, and it really is an incredible, uh, when Steve and Lane took it over, it just, it really became truly a networking a how do we help each other out uh, how do we lift one another up uh and and it's just been amazing for me personally i've been able to really really make some great uh strides uh with uh Vetpreneur tribe and then now with the warrior council also even even more it's just it's just turned my my whole i mean i left my job yeah you know, during this whole process because of all the things that were happening all the networking that was going on awesome brother and so um Without further ado, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Uh, tell us where you were born and where you were raised and what right. led you to join the military. Yeah, well, I was born in uh, central Pennsylvania and uh, back in 1967, so it's been a while. And 1986, I decided to join the Army, and I did. And I, I was uh, – actually, well, I'd, I'd like to say I joined the Army because I'm a patriot and because my family was you know, in the military since the, since the Revolutionary War, which is true. Uh, but I, I actually joined to get the hell out of there. So, you know, it was it was a mess, man. It was a mess where I was living. Uh, you know, just uh, I didn't like myself. Didn't uh, didn't like what I was about. Had no self confidence. Had no self belief. And uh, as I knew at that at a young age already that um, if I if I kept surrounding myself with those people, the way they saw me was the way I was going to be. So I figured, okay, I'm gonna join the military, go in here and make myself a hard ass. And I uh, went to boot camp and I started shaving my head on the first day I got there. And I said, okay, this is the new me, start forming. And that's what I did. So I started just forming uh, the, the new Steven. And after five months of OSIT, one station unit training, which is basically boot camp and AIT mixed together, uh, I left for Germany. And that was 1986 when I went to Germany. And I've been in Europe ever since. <laughs> Did you, uh, did you have, you kind of hit on a little bit, but did you have a lot of trouble, uh, in your youth? Yeah. Were you like one of those that got in trouble all the time? And yeah. Underage drinking. As a matter of fact, when I joined the army, I went to the airport in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to fly out to Fort Knox. And then they pulled me off the plane and said, Nope, you're not, not leaving the state until you pay your fines for underage drinking. I was like, Oh shit. And then I had to change my MOS. And I mean, it was like a big mess. 
And I said, nope, I'm not joining. I'm not, I changed my mind. And they're like, you already swore in, brother. You're, you're not changing your mind. You know? And so they're like, you leave in three days. So I had to go home. And my, my, my mom's like, what? They already kicked you out? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's like, I knew you wouldn't make it. You know, it was like, it was, like, it was that bad. Yeah, I, I got kicked out of school. I got in fights with teachers, with other people. Um, troublemaker. I sucked at every sport I tried, like really bad. You know, I was like the guy that's like, okay, Coon, this is the last play of the last game of the, of the season, and we haven't won one game yet, but we're two points ahead. Do not rush the, the quarterback, right? All right, what do I do? I rush the quarterback. He runs around. He makes a touchdown and wins. You know, like that, that, was, that was my legacy in high school, man. <laughs> wow. Like, just tell him what to do, and he won't do it. You know, it was like it was, I was that guy. I was that guy. Yeah, yeah, I was a total loser. That's insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so you uh, you escaped the life growing up, and you joined the military. And uh, what did you do in the service? I was in tanks. So, you know, I, I uh, actually excelled. I did really well. And, um, yeah, it's uh, stationed in Germany during the Cold War. Went to the border. Did border patrol on tanks and then on foot, you know, and uh, um, went to a NATO competition called Canadian Army Trophy. It's held every two years since 1961. And uh, it's all the NATO tank gunnery competition between all the NATO countries. And to this day, only one team of 16 ever won, and that was my team. So that was like my first big deal, right? So we were on, you know, Good Morning America, and we met, you know, the Secretary of Defense, the presidents, and all kinds of stuff. It was a big deal back during the Cold War because, you know, it was all about women. And then uh, after that, the ball came down. It was boring as hell. Uh, and then they sent us to the desert in our winter uniforms and um, in, uh, in our winter, our green tanks and uh, sweated our asses off in those thick winter uniforms. We did get, we finally got the, the desert uniforms when we were leaving. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, the I think the military's always Johnny come lately. You know, they, they well, you know, especially combat arms. You know, combat arms, uh, we're the last of everything. You know, we didn't even have water. You know, we're in the desert out there fighting, we don't need water. We literally had to go back and steal water, Jeez. like steal it. Like, because you know, if you're in, we, we used to call it the fat lady, right? So, the fat lady is the supply trains, right? So, you had the combat arms and you had the support battalion, and then, and then you had the fat lady. And the fat lady in, in Iraq was 200 kilometers long. Wow. Right? 25 kilometers wide was our column. 200 kilometers long was the was the column as well. The Third Armored Division, Seventh Corps, you know, was two ACR in the front, and we were right behind them, Eighth Cap. And uh, yeah, we were running out of water, man, and and even uniforms. So it starts in the back. They'll send, let's say, they send 100 uniforms, right? Well, it passes through 50 hands by the time it gets to us, and everybody <laughs> takes a piece, right? And by the time it gets to us, we have like a boot and a hat, and that's about it, you know. <laughs> That's and speaking a, of water, same thing with water. It's like we got like a case and a half of broken bottles. And we're like, what? You know, so yeah, we had to go back and steal in the middle of the night. Jeez, that's insane. You know, Big mess. Our, our military's never been uh, accused of being highly efficient. Dude, when, when we, were, we were practicing for the rollout, right? When we were practicing for the ground war, we were in a high position. And they said, okay, we're going to do a maneuver at night. We're going to do the whole division again, right? And we're just going to go out there and we're going to practice. And it was nighttime. And it was such a cluster, right? You know, it was a Charlie Fox track. <laughs> We're moving along, and it was like time to refuel, resupply. 
And first sergeant comes on. Okay, everybody, uh, this is first sergeant. Come back and refuel, resupply. And you got to realize we're in a column for 200 kilometers, and no one could find anybody. Like, where are you? I'm over here with the green chem light. You look out, there's like six million green chem lights. Everybody's going like this. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. So they said, everybody stop in place. Wait till the sun comes up, and we'll start moving. And from that point on, we never moved at night. Wow. We never fought at night. Never moved. Stand, as soon as it got dark, stop. We never like ran over a first sergeant and killed them. I mean, it was it was it was horrible. Yeah. So you know, the most modern army in the world couldn't move at night. That's insane, especially with today. You would think that we're that we're there. You know that we should. Well, it was 1990, 1991. So I don't know how it is today, but back then we had those big handheld Garmin um, uh, GPSs that just had like an arrow, <laughs> which is great in the desert. Not so great for the roads, but when you're in the desert, you just go straight and run over everything. You know, yeah. it was just, it was easy that way. So, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, how long did you stay in the military? Seven, almost, what is it, a little bit over seven years. And you separated where? In Germany. I got a European out. Um, so, what they call a European out, where you're out processed in Germany and, or in your foreign country. And I literally, like, out processed. I wore my greens, my dress uniform the last two weeks because I was, I really didn't want to get out, but I was done. Like, I knew I was done. And uh, I just literally walked off base and turned around and I couldn't get back on. Like I was done, you know, it was crazy. Hopped in my Jeep and um, had a Jeep Cherokee, drove to Berlin from Schweinfurt where I was, which was a nine hour drive in my greens, showed up, went to the Irish pub and got hammered. <laughs> and uh, with a bunch of people ce uh, celebrating my exit from the military. Um, but it was funny because I, I didn't turn in my license plates for my car. Right, because I had military license plates on there, you know, um, status status of forces agreements, and I had those plates on that car for like six months, man. I had no insurance or anything. I was just driving around with these license plates, you know. And when I got stopped, I'd show my ID card because it was still it didn't expire because I got six out, out early, six months earlier than I was supposed to, so I still had six months on my ID card. So I just kept driving around with that. So what? At that point, did you have a plan of what you were going to do? Did you know what you were going to do when you got out? Or Yeah, I wanted to open a cocktail bar. Okay. Yeah. Probably not what I would have guessed. Nope. <laughs> nope. Well, you know, when you're in your army, what do you do? What do you do when you're off? You when party. You're in a bar, right? So, yeah. yeah. And in Berlin, we still had soldiers there when I got out. So, the embassies and everything else. So, I opened a bar. Um, and it became the bar where the Marines. And the embassy people hung out, all the local police, the SWAT team, and everything. So my bar was full all the time with police officers and military and embassy workers and you know regional security officers. It was great, man. It was great. Like they'd get drunk and their weapons would fall out the floor and stuff. It was a, it was a mess, you know. This is, before, yeah, this is before 11. This is before 911. So anything was possible back then. Yeah. And then, before and all then, that. then I opened another bar. Then I opened the club, and it was like that. Then I wrote a book, and then I got. Someone asked me if I could help them uh, bring a chain of health clubs from South Africa to Germany. And I'm like, you realize I'm a bartender, right? And the guy's like, yeah, but you seem to be able to get it done. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I did it, crushed it. And then I got an, another company, a listed company up in the UK, said, hey, can you come do the same thing for us? So they brought me on as a director and literally quadrupled my pay. I, I went from making like 6K a month to making $29,000 or Euro DMARC a month, which would have been probably 20K a month. Right. And I'm like 33. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, what the heck's going on? Imposter syndrome, like all the way. Right. <laughs> and then they're like, OK, you're going to Chicago and you're going to you're going to head up the joint venture with the Nasdaq listed company. 
And I show up there and they give me this office with like a, you know, like a marble, marble bathroom, my own bathroom in my office, you know, and then like a secretary outside. And I had like literally a stack of papers on my desk like that. And that was it. Matter of fact, every morning on the desk was a stack of tickets. Oprah Winfrey, because in Chicago, so it was Oprah Winfrey show, the Sox, the Cubs, uh, the Bulls, like every sporting event, play, anything was on the desk. I gave, just go if you want, because I was one of the executives. So you got all these perks. These guys never worked. They never worked. Like literally, they're in the guitar, they're in their office playing the guitar and singing and joking around and stuff. And then Pink comes in, you know, the singer comes in and does a meeting with the CEO. I was like, <clears throat> I'm like, man, is this how executives work? Because this is like, this. I was scared every day that they were going to come in and say, oh, why aren't you doing anything? But there was nothing to do. There was nothing to do. I would just sit in my office. And this, this, this was before like internet and all this Facebook and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm talking bored bored so i just go to the gym and i got in like perfect shape i would just stay in the gym all day basically how much education did you have at that point zero barely a high school degree wow yeah and i'm sitting there with lee hillman the ceo this is one of the most craziest things i've ever experienced right so i somehow got into this position just because what, what happened was this so the guy who headhunted me um there's a long story behind it how we met and stuff but when I said, look, man, I don't, are you sure about this? You know, like, are you sure about hiring me to be this director? And he's like, don't ask questions. Don't worry about it. I see it in you. You got it. Make it happen. Just do it. Just like you're in the military. I was like, all right, I can do that. And I did. I crushed it. But um, we were in a meeting in Chicago, and I'm talking both boards of both listed companies. One company is listed on the stock market in the UK. One's in the NASDAQ in the US. Power players. Everyone knows who they are. Lee, Lee Hillman is a... Very famous guy. He was a CFO for Bally um, Casinos in Vegas. You know, he's a, he's the biggest donor for University of Chicago ever. It's kind of stuff. And they're sitting there and they're arguing about this, um, how they're going to set up these these new locations. And I'm sitting there like, you know, power players, you know, here all trying to be the big guys, right? And then Lee's like, oh, everybody shut up. Let's ask the specialist. And I'm like, okay. He was like, Steven. I was like, me? <laughs> <laughs> Me? What do you mean? With a specialist. And he's like, what do you think? What well, should we do this or that? And I was like, well, honestly, I would do this, this, that, that. He goes, all right, it's done. Decision made. Let's move on. And I was like, holy shit. I, I just <laughs> made a decision for two listed companies that are going to decide the future of their company. I mean, like, holy cow. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. And that's how I kept gaining that confidence. Like, well, hell, if they see it in me, then it must be there, right? There must be something in me that sees it. And, and I just kept building upon that. That's that's insane because I had a I had a good friend of mine who got his degree and and then you know but he was he's in the rest he's a restaurant tour very successful he's opening up another one here uh, in one of the uh, one of those foo foo districts you know where they convert it's an old brewery area yeah. and they've converted into this huge hippie commune right and, you know with all these fancy restaurants and anyway he's got one going up in there and. And uh, when I started school for business, he's like, JR, he says, if you want to open a business, you don't need to go to school. And I was nervous because I had done business several times. I had opened up a welding business three times. And every time I failed, the first time I didn't know anything about welding or business. The second time I didn't, still didn't know anything about business. I knew a little bit about welding. The third time I was close to being a master welder. And I, I knew a little bit about business, but not enough. But 9-11 hit. I mean, I had contracts with eight apartment companies that owned 10 or 15 apartment complexes in san antonio and uh i had contracts with all of them to fix stairs and uh, at that time texas 
had changed their pool enclosure requirements, you know, to keep kids from getting in. And so I was going around, I was making a mint and uh, 9-11 hit and they, they're like, hey, listen, we have to, I know we have a contract, but we're, we're stopping everything. All contracts are going to end and we're going to start over. And, and so I, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have any insurance. You know, I didn't have all the requirements for the Patriot Act and all that stuff that they had. And so uh, I went back to work to the workforce, you know, yeah. I didn't know what to do. Well, I, I'm, I'm lucky. You know, I was an entrepreneur since 1996. Um, actually earlier, but officially <laughs> I was working on under the table and doorman and stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's where, that, that's where you bank. I mean, it, I don't know if you remember techno music. Techno music was born in Berlin. And I was you know, part of that scene in the very beginning in 1991, 1992. So when I was still in the army in Berlin, I was already working at one of the clubs and it was called the exit. It was an underground club that was illegal. And there were like 3000 people there every night. Like Madonna was there. Prince was there. Uh, like people were showing, it was like the techno club period. Everybody's on ecstasy and doing all kinds of crazy shit. Everybody's dancing around in brawls and underwear. It was crazy, man. I would just literally, literally come off base in my uniform, take my shirt off, and just walk into my BDUs, you know, with my just with my topless. That's how you did it, right? And it was all dark. There was no lights except for black lights. Three thousand people on ecstasy, just drinking like fish. It was crazy, man. And you know, then you get to meet, meet the doorman, and they're like, "Dude, you're too big to be a bartender. Only come out and be on the door. It's, it's better money. You get to stand outside. You know, you get to, you know, chat with the ladies, that kind of stuff." <laughs> so uh, I, I switched over to bar doorman. Then I got into there's a club called Trezor and Ninety Degrees, which were the Iconic clubs in Berlin of those days and still are to this day as far as legend goes worked at those places with doors You know met all the whoever they're supposed to be, you know, these famous DJs and stuff and uh, Just had a, a blast man And uh, I was always the odd man out because I didn't take any shit from anybody I was I was still raging PTSD man. I was in a fight every night with somebody. You know, it was crazy I was fighting every night It got to the point where I, I got away from that scene and went into the restaurant scene the Hard Rock Cafe and was a doorman at the Hard Rock Cafe, but I said, "Man, it's too, it's too, you know, lax here. Let me tighten it up a little bit." <laughs> so I raised the age of when you can get in, and I told who could get in, and who couldn't get in, and I, I turned it into almost like a club. And that place filled up overnight. It was crazy. It was an amazing time. But then, of course, you still had the squaddies there, the British soldiers, the French soldiers, and the American soldiers. And you know, they see a GI standing at the door, an ex-GI. They they want to challenge him. So it was like, "Oh, there's that big guy. He thinks he's tough." And it was just fighting every single night and it would just it would trigger my ptsd even more so i'd go to work like come on bring it on you know and at that time i was like 300 pounds i was like 300 pounds but solid muscle like huge and uh you know i'm six four and so i was pretty big and i would just it was it was it was it was crazy it was draining it was soul killing you know uh, but you know once you're in that hamster wheel of anger it was really hard to get out and thank god i did i saw myself on a video camera one time um on a security camera one time I was like chasing this guy down the street and I had him by the back of the neck and I'm punching him in the back of the head and there's like four guys on my back trying to stop me and I didn't even realize it. I'm just walking with them on my back it was like psycho because I, I would always black out when I was fighting because I don't remember what happened but and when I saw that I was like man first of all I need to drop some muscle because I look too big and second of all <laughs> second of all I need to get out of this and let so me I, ask you about that because you you said There's, we're not having technical difficulties. There's just a good stopping point about halfway. I'm going to just plug a couple of things real quick uh, from people who are really helping us out. Uh, one of them is Travis. Uh, 
He's got the nonprofit architect, and he's got a veteran podcast network. Uh, and he um, he is you'll see the ticker here. It's got the the website. He's got a collection of all these veteran podcasts. And um, I uh, I just wanted to, to let you know about that. You can hit that one up. And in just a second here, I'm also going to put the um, um, the links for the group that uh, Steve runs. Um, I'm just looking for the little thing here real quick. And uh, give me one second here. And so um, the one that you see on the ticker right now is Travis Johnson, the nonprofit architect, uh, and he's got a veteran podcast network. Uh, we're on it. Several others are on it. It's really cool. Check it out. And then uh, here throughout the last half of the of the thing, I'm going to put uh, Steve's links in the in the comments. One of them is for the Vetpreneur Tribe, which is 15,000 strong of veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, any veteran can join that. Even if you're not from the United States, if you're a Australian veteran or English veteran or whatever, you can join. Uh, and then the Warrior Council is a mastermind group within the Vetpreneur tribe that we're all members of. And so, uh, anyway, without further ado, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Steve back on. PTSD. How did you actually deal with that? Because, you know. I didn't. I didn't deal with it. I didn't even know what it was. You, you, you don't remember back then. No one knew what PTSD. There wasn't a name for it back then, right? Right. So, and, and it's funny because in 2012, when they wrote me, the VA wrote me and said you have a presumptive 70% disability because you were in Iraq when we dropped sarin and cyclosarin nerve gas, um, and and you probably have PTSD. And I'm like PTSD, and uh, I looked at my medical files because I was one of the smart ones. I outprocessed and took my original files with me. Um, I looked inside there and in 1991, I had from a captain in Berlin said that um, probable PTSD was written in my files. Never even, I, I probably saw it and said, what's PTSD, who, who knows what it means, you know? So I didn't, I didn't even met, met, mess with it, but that sort of upset me up. That, that sort of upset me because, you know, like, you know, 25 years later, I'm like, oh, I got PTSD. Anyway, I didn't deal with it. Um, I mean, I had, I crashed and burned too, you know, and, and after all those fighting and stuff, I. I, you know, I got a, uh, I started the company putting up drywall and, uh, one day I was on the work on, at, at work doing this. It was my company with my, my brother-in-law at the time or my future wife's brother who is then now my ex-wife. And, um, I suddenly woke up in the park naked. <laughs> I was like, uh, what the fuck? And they said that you just walked away and just walked down the street and disappeared. And I woke up in the park naked. And when I woke up, I was like, and, and of course, there's nothing wrong with that in Berlin because you're allowed, allowed to be naked in the park, and most people are because that's how they, they sun. It's like, it's just Germans love to be naked for some reason. There's even naked billboards. It's like they're just naked crazy. So it wasn't like a big deal. And I said, and I said to the people beside me, hey, someone sold my clothes. Could I have something to wrap around? You know? And I was far away from home. So I just got on the bus and said, look, I don't have any money or nothing. I, someone stole all my stuff. So they put me on the bus, and I'm sitting there with this like, some guy's t-shirt around my halfway around my covering up my genitals. And, um, yeah, I got home. And for that, from that time on, um, for about two weeks, I, I literally was outside of my body. Like I could not, I couldn't feel myself, you know? Um, I was like, it was like, 
Everything was an echo. Everything anyone said to me or when I spoke, it was like an echo. Like I wasn't in my body. Like I was outside listening to myself. I almost lost it. Like literally, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown or something. And I remember my girlfriend at the time looking at me and uh, it was like, what is, where are you? Like, you're not, it's like, you're not in your body. Like she said that to me and I just couldn't talk. It was like, I'm like, Ugh. you know? So uh, after about two weeks, it just ended. And then I was like back to normal when I was, or normal, <laughs> back in my body again. And then I was like, all right, I gotta make a change. And that's when I just stopped, stopped everything that had to do with drinking, smoking, fighting, bars, clubs, whatever that stuff. I mean, I kept my stuff, my bars. Right, uh, but I didn't drink or nothing. I didn't do any of that stuff. None of it. I didn't do none of that stuff. So yeah, it was it was a trip, man. It was a it was a it was a rough first few years. Let me tell you. Yeah, that's just it's hard to. I mean, I can't, I've never had that kind of experience. So man, I can't even relate to what that must have felt like. But um, it had to be insane. It was it was scary, man. You know, I mean that, that was. That was like probably the first time I wanted to, I, I contemplated, you know, taking my life. Yeah. I'm like, I, I can't freaking deal with this, man. Like I'm done, you know? And, and, and you're outside of your body, so you have zero feelings. So you, have, you don't have any love, hate, empathy, sympathy, nothing. You just, you just, you just have nothing, you know? Yeah. You nothing. So yeah, that was a trip, man. <laughs> so you've been on a lot of countries. I, yeah, we you and I I know that for a fact from being in the group and 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 I know kind of some of the stuff that you guys are doing, which is to me is like, you know, I mean you're up there with the CEOs of these international companies doing the things you're doing for veterans. Um, so you're in Germany. How do you what what's the next major step that you take? I mean, you went to Chicago obviously with this international company, but then like from there, did that springboard you? To doing your own thing or what well, I, that was my own thing i was self-employed okay so i was self-employed i was i was self-employed director that way you earn more money because then you you take it they don't have all the deductions and the all that you know health insurance and social security all that stuff they don't take any of that stuff out and american companies loved working with me because i had a german address and they didn't have to pay all that stuff either so it was always i was always self-employed um no Chicago ended. There was a there was a hostile takeover of both company boards, and they booted all the directors and myself and everybody else. And I uh, ended up um, um, coming back from Chicago. I was only there for nine months. Came back from Chicago. My um, my wife at the time had had an accident, and broke her back while she was cheating on me with somebody who also broke something in his body. Um, and then at the same time, I had put money down on an apartment that I was going to buy, and that guy took off with the money and was never seen again. So I lost my job, my wife, and my money <laughs> within a week. God. Yeah, within a week. So I'm sitting there going, oh, what am I going to do? You know? And I was a high roller. like I was like, I wouldn't make banking, right? And uh, I was like, man, you know, I didn't save any money. I just put all that money down on that, point, that apartment, yada, yada, yada. And I'm sitting there with some friends in my apartment. And when, when I had my bars, when I was working in my bars, um, Every time it was dead, which was usually during the day, I had these little bar tab things that I would write on. I'd write my thoughts about the war, about Iraq, right? And I put them in a shoebox. And we were sitting at home there then in 2002 when this happened. And my friend's like, what's that box? And I said, eh, it's just some notes. And they, they read it. And they're like, oh, my God, you got to write a book. And I was like, who's going to read? I'm 33. Who's going to read? Or four or whatever I was, five maybe. Who's going to read my book? And they said, just do it. So I wrote 10 pages. Jesus, I, I wrote 10 pages and um, 
sent it off to like six publishers. And one of them said, oh, okay, we'd like to send an, someone to interview you. We'll do an ad, we'll do an article in the newspaper. And if it hits, we'll publish the book. We'll write the book with you. And it happened to be in Berlin, which was like, it was 20 minutes from my house is where the publisher was. So it was perfect. So they sent it, sent it, they sent a guy over there. The guy's like, okay, so who's this young buck? What's so special about your story? I told my story and he was like, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. And so he put it in the newspaper, third page. So, you know, you have the front page, you open it up, third page right there. That's like the number one page to be on besides the front cover. And it came out the day the war started in 2003 in March. So the day the new war started, right, in Iraq. Yeah. Mom's dropped in Iraq, opened it up, Sergeant Coon's private war. Obviously, they started writing the book. And I was on from that day for a year, every day on TV, uh, different stations, some, sometimes on different stations, five times a day in Germany, all in German. There was no other war veteran who spoke German. So I'm sitting there on TV with like the ambassador to Germany from America, ambassador to Germany from, from the England, Sir Peter Ustinov, you know, all these like famous politicians and stuff. And they're like, I ask them all these questions. And they, they're like, well, ask Mr. Kuhn. He's a war specialist. You know, and I'm like, you know, there I was again, right? Sitting there in a place where I had no clue what I was doing. And they asked me, I mean, I'll never forget. It was right the day the war started, that very next night. They picked me up in a car, drove me three hours to Hamburg. It was funny because they said, look, Mr. Kuhn, we'd like to have you on the show. It's, it's the number one show in America. It's like Oprah Winfrey. I mean, sorry, in Germany. 15 million viewers or 30 million viewers or something ridiculous like that. And uh, they said, we'd like to bring you to Hamburg, have you an interview, have you stay overnight. We'll pay for everything and then we'll bring you back the next day. I'm like, okay, what are you going to pay me? And they said, 500 euros. I said, okay, go find an, a, another war veteran who speaks German. And they said, what do you want? I said, I want 3,500 bucks. And they're like, Ugh. I said, all right, see. And like, okay, okay, we'll pay. <laughs> and I said, I want to cash when I get up there. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I want to cash. I'm like, okay. So I went up there, they gave me cash, went on the show, did my thing. And I'm sitting there and there was, it was funny because I'm sitting there as a combat veteran, right? Never spoke about this to anyone. And I'm on TV with like 30 million people watching. Live, live, right? And it's like the biggest talk show in Germany, in the German-speaking area. And there's this guy beside me, like a photographer who went into Iraq while Saddam was on, you know, in power and took pictures illegally. And he was like, ooh, I was, you know, risking my life and all this kind of stuff. And they're all talking shit. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, whatever. And then... Um, he said, uh, Johannes B. Kanner was his name. He said, hey, uh, Steve, Mr. Kuhn, uh, are you against this war? No one ever asked me that before. Wow. Right? Like, I was like, oh, shit. Man. Uh, <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm going like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Then HIT was born. Right? HIT, Honesty, Integrity, Transparency. I was like, look, this is my chance to get everything off my chest, to tell the truth. From my view, I have to be transparent and honest because I owe it to the 30 million viewers. Otherwise, I'm just a fraud. So I went all in and told him I'm totally against this war, but I love my country. I support my president and I'm definitely behind the troops. And this photographer said, you're, it's a typical American schizophrenic said to me. And I said, look, and I said this in German, I'm like, look, I don't expect you to understand because you, you've never fought in a war. So that's okay. But if you want, we can talk about it after the show behind, you know, backstage. But it sounded like I said, I'll talk to you about this backstage. You know what I mean? Like, like it sounded like, <laughs> <laughs> so the whole, like, the whole show is like, and I'm like, I'm like yeah. <laughs> I wonder, so did that guy like tail it after y'all were done? <laughs> yeah, he was gone, man. He was gone, yeah. 
and from that point on, I got this reputation of being like no nonsense. So they then then the war started and they had me on there. It was funny because they were showing a scene in Iraq live from Iraq, and there's like 17 infantrymen laying down shooting at this building, and there's a tank there with them. And there's a building with one sniper in it, right? This like Adobe building. I'm like, Mr. Coon, what do you see? I said, I see a Hollywood film because why would these infantrymen take hours shooting at one guy in the building when the tank can just take it out with one shot? This is obviously staged. You know, like I was, they're like, oh, okay, I'll bet you. Uh. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so I'm, I'm like, um, sorry, my kids are out front yelling at, out in front of the window. Um, so uh, from from there, I just went every day to a different uh, different TV show, a talk show. I started doing. And then the book came out. It was immediate bestseller. I wrote it in two weeks, and two weeks later, it was a bestseller. And uh, it it to this day, it's a bestseller in Germany. That was two thousand three, and uh, I, I was on every TV show, everything. And and they would bring me on with politicians, like one person from each party. You know, sorry, I had to tell my kids to stop screaming. Oh, good. And, uh, <laughs> And it's actually not my kid. It's my it's their aunt who's seven, so it's my my wife's little daughter, little sister. Anyway, so um, I and I forget what I was saying. Damn it. Anyway, so it was a, it was a blast. It was a blast. yeah yeah yeah. So I mean, I was, on, I was on all these talk shows and all these, you know. Uh, oh, I was so the book came out. It was a bestseller, and then they sent me on a book tour. So I would go to a different city every day, and get paid five hundred bucks or thousand bucks to read out of my book for half an hour, and then sign autographs and sell like. You know 150 books each time so i was like loving it you know you meet, wow. uh, you meet real people and then of course you get hecklers like i had some uh palestinians come in were heckling me and you know america's a devil and all this kind of stuff and you know but it didn't it didn't really phase me and um you know i was like guys come here man let's talk we're, you're not a politician i'm not a politician let's just talk we're just you and me brother you know and then started um um doing uh grade schools middle school and grade school that i loved like I would literally go into an auditorium and there'd be 500 students there and they'd be like this. And I, and if they started talking to me like, okay, you have something to, something to add? No. Okay. Well then listen up. And I was like, <laughs> like a teacher. Right. And I was like, <laughs> I loved it, man. It was so much fun. It was so much fun, but no future. Right. I never used anything as a springboard. People said, man, you should have been famous after that. I said I was, but then I didn't do anything with it. I didn't do anything with the job before that. I didn't do anything with that. And it's because I never wanted to do one thing. I always wanted to do what I wanted to do. What was fun, what was exciting, what was new, what was different. Like, I heard on the radio one time in 1998 that the Stones were coming to Berlin, the Rolling Stones. And at the very end of the show, they said, and the bodyguard of Mick Jagger is staying in Berlin or in London because he hurt his back. Right? And I'm like, oh, he needs a bodyguard. Right? So what do I do? I go to their hotel uh, where they're staying the first day they get there and wait for them. And I see Mick with his entourage, and I walk up and say, hey, Mick Jagger, how you doing? I'm Steven. I'm your new bodyguard. And he's like, who sent you? And I said, I sent me. He goes, well, what, do you, what do you mean? Who are you? I'm Steven. I'm a, combat I'm a combat veteran. I speak German. I'm a local, and I know my way around the city, and I can carry. And he's like, talk to CJ. And C CJ was this big-ass Irish guy who was like an assistant or something. And CJ said, I got one question for you, and you got the job. I'm like, what? And he said, do you know where to get the best German sausage? I said, you bet I do. He goes, all right, how's $400 a day? <laughs> that was it. 
stopped working where I was working and started working for them for three for, for just for three weeks. And then after that, I figured something else out. It was always like that. I did the same thing with Olivia Newton-John. I did the same thing with Andrea Bocelli. I worked for Andrea for two years. Worked for yeah, I worked for Andrea Bocelli for two years, man. I walked up to him backstage and said, "You and me tomorrow, five minutes coffee. The worst thing that's going to happen, you're going to walk away with a, a, a nice coffee. The best thing is going to walk away. You'll be surprised." And he's like, "Okay, we'll meet tomorrow." I showed up. He wasn't there, but his wife was, who actually runs the whole show anyway, and and her assistant Alicia, and uh, um, you know Italians. Hey, man, what the and um, we're sitting there, and, and I basically said, I know what your issues are, and I know what you need, and I know how to make, I know how to make this happen. Now, I had never worked in the music industry before. And they said, well, well, wh why do we need you? I said, maybe you don't, but I know you have this issue, and I know that I can solve it. And they're like, okay, okay, we'll give it a shot. Okay, we'll give it a shot. We'll give you a how, how's three months to give it a shot. I said, all right. And they said, well, you get 20% of all the bookings you get, and then you get a percentage of all the contracts you sign. I was like, yeah, but I, I work on a retainer as well. And they're like, no one works on a retainer in the music industry. There's no, no such thing. I said, well, it's up to you. It's, it's your choice. I'm not here to push anything on you. If you want the solutions that I can provide, and I can provide them, then you'll pay the retainer. If not, then it was super meeting you. Um, I really appreciate it. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. Okay, we'll pay the retainer. <laughs> it's like... I'm going to warn you right now that when my wife sees this, she's going to be like, hey, ask Steve this. Hey, ask Steve that because... She is a Bocelli nut, man. Oh, he's amazing, dude. He's amazing. Yeah. The whole family's the whole family is so cool. They're just, I guess, when you're at that level, five hundred million or whatever they have, it's just it's just a whole different world. But in the end, what it what it, what it, what I was doing there was I was creating space. If if you read the book Unleash Your Humble Alpha, right, Humble Alpha, yeah. Me and there we talk about creating space, and creating space is showing up wholly and fully for the person in front of you with no preconceived notions, no cookie cutter solutions, and no expectations, focusing only on the one thing that we control, and that is what? That's the intention. My intention was to add value, solve their problems. And I knew if I did that, there was no no issue with them uh, re receiving me. And if they didn't receive me, it didn't even matter. And when you show up like that, it just creates a space around you where people are like, man, I want to be with this person. Like, I want to work with this person. And it works every single time. But you do it truly, not fake. Like, okay, I don't want anything, but I really do. No, you, you really, it can't matter to you if you get the job or get the, get the gig or whatever it is. It just can't matter. And when you do that, you, you rule. And that's where that presence comes from. That's where certainty comes from, right? I'm certain about my, my impact and I'm certain about my ability. So I don't have to worry about the outcome. I don't control it anyway. I only control the, the intention. That's what I focus on. That's, that's so amazing because I, you know, it took me a long time to get, you know, with uh, with my mindset just to get past the fact that I needed money. You know, when I started out, I, I used to work. I worked with Justin from the very beginning uh, and and I told him, I said, man, I don't really care about money. I, I have this mission that I want to do. And he finally had to, you know, break it down kindergarten style and say, look, dude, you know how much if you just if you don't make enough money to pay your monthlies, how much mission are you going to do? Zero. If you make enough money to pay your your nut, your monthly nut, but you have nothing left over, how much mission are you going to do? Zero. So you you can't just make a hundred dollars more than what you know what your expenses are, because again, you're still doing nothing. Yeah, but the thing is, this is that people a lot of people don't understand that you have to have a goal or a reason to make that money. Right. A lot of people want to make a lot of money. How much? Just a lot. More than I'm more than I need. How much is that? Well, I, I need this much, so I want to make that much. How much? This much. Why? Because I need it. Why? For what? Like, if you don't know what it's for, and you don't know what 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 you're what you're building it for, then it's really hard to make it because you have no urgency. 
right? There's no urgency. Once you pay the bills, you're like, you know, so you got to begin to create that urgency by setting, by setting goals all the way out 30 years, 20 years, a hundred goals, different areas, different, different sectors of your life. You have relationship goals, you have business goals, you have, you know, leadership goals or whatever it is that you want to put in there. Uh, body, mind, relationships, and business, for instance. That's it's four areas that we, that we focus on in Humble Alpha. It's just, it's just so important if you want to make more money, that more money than you need, that you really need to actually know what it's for, not just to have it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have to have a mission in, in your mind, like you said. And, you know, I'm getting through the book. I haven't finished it yet, but I, you know, let's talk about that a little bit now because um, – that is such a huge part of the Vipreneur tribe, and and I, it's becoming a huge part. You know, people are more people are getting into it, uh, and I mean, I haven't got through the whole book yet, but I, I'm already in. You know, full, you know, all in. I'm all in, like playing poker. I'm, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do this. Well, the book, you know, the book is um, it's called Un Unleash Your Humble Alpha, right? And it's a uh, it's a compilation. It's basically dissecting myself and Lane's lives um, over a year time, year period and finding out where the trends were. So what happened when we were successful? What happened when we weren't successful? How did we recover? How did we go into it? And we kept looking for patterns and routines and like, okay, this is something that, that, that's how I figured out where HIT was born, where creating space was born, where investing in relational capital was born, where life enterprise was born and where quality of life was born. Those are the five principles or the five models that we use in the book um, HIT of course, was the big one. That's the basis, the foundation for everything that we do, honesty, integrity, and transparency. Honesty with yourself and why you do and say what you do. Transparency is how you step into the world with that honesty, and it's your ongoing re reputation. And then, of course, integrity is a byproduct. Integrity makes you authentic. Authenticity allows you to dictate your market value, which is what Lane and I do. We don't have, like, okay, we get this much an hour. We dictate what, what we take when we do something, when we do a project. And so this whole book takes you through a process every, every chapter ends with exact action steps that you want to do in order to find out what it is you need to do to find out who you really are. And when and someone says, oh, this hokey pokey, who you really are shit. Well, I can tell you this, if you don't know your true identity, then you don't know your true purpose. And if you don't know your true purpose, you won't have that certainty in life that creates magic and allows you to move forward effortlessly. So that's why we focus on identity, purpose, and certainty in the book. That's what it's all about. This book has now become a course the course has now uh, been accepted or been brought into the um, um, Forbes Business School MBA program uh, to like officially. Uh, we're actually changing the book to put that on the book so that people see that. And uh, it looks there's a couple other universities I can't mention yet that are very big that are picking it up as well. I just got off the phone with another university um, who also has a high school program. I mean, it's it's huge. And why? because it's tangible knowledge, right? We're teaching tangible concepts. We're not teaching theory. Everything in this book is tangible. It happened, we did it, that's how we work, that's how we're successful, that's how we do what we do when we do it. None of it is theory. And that's why the book does so well. Now we wrote it for men specifically in order to attract women and it worked because about 65% of the readers are women. <laughs> Marketing. <laughs> you know, I was talking to Justin because uh, uh, I just lost my whole train of thought, man. Well, we were talking about yeah, humble alpha women, men. I don't know. I was something that was going to bring Justin into the into the mix there because he and I have done a lot of stuff together as well. But I, I don't know where it went. But anyway, so you you're, you've got the, the course. It's all it's a, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. So I was taking business courses at Wayland Baptist, and right about the time that I I was taking marketing actually, 
And right about the time that I got on Justin's mastermind class, the first one that he did. And it's just like you say, you know, you're, you're, you're the humble alpha gives tangible things, real life. This is, this works. This is how it works. This is, you know, it's meat. It's not, it's not air. And Justin was doing the same thing. It was so weird because <clears throat> we would cover something in the class with Justin. And then the next week at school, we'd be covering the textbook part of it. And it was such a contrast between what is really tangible and what is really theory. Well, you know, universities, that's what it is. It's all theory. And that's why if you look at a professor who's been in, you know, professor for 20 years and you look at an entrepreneur who's been an entrepreneur for 20 years, the entrepreneur, entrepreneur's out earning the professor three, four or five to one because yeah. tangibility is where you get the scale tangibility is where you get the growth. That's where you get the revenue growth. You don't get, you don't get, you know, any, any of that from theory. It's just, it's just a bunch of information in your head. And if you don't, if you don't apply it, you'll never know how to grow it, scale it and make it better. So, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, Justin isn't a college. He's not a, he's not a book. So if, if, and when we're talking about a book, we're talking about a college, they're actually looking for courses now that are along the lines of tangibility. So my suggestion would be to Justin write a damn course about it. Let me know. I'll hook him up with the college and they'll make it into a course and get into a university. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's literally that's, and if you ask me, that's the trend of the future because right now all the Kajabi courses and Kartra courses and click funnel courses and stuff, they're, they're, they're running out. People are sick of unqualified people, unqualified courses, putting some videos up there in their underwear and t-shirt talking about whatever. People are sick of it because there's no qualification with that. You take our course, Humble Alpha, for instance, you get a college certificate, you know, and you can actually put that certificate in your resume and say it's a college certified certificate. And that means that it's actually been accredited by universities and colleges in order to, to match or um, reach the level of curriculum that is allowed in their school, which is which makes a minimum in their school to be accredited. So I, for me, that's the future. I can see it coming. You know, That's legit. So how long after y'all wrote the book? Did it, did it, you get into this where it's become a course? Three months. Three months. Holy mackerel. We don't mess around, man. We move quick. I'm telling you. Well, it's all in the book. How do you move quick like that? How do you make, how do you set goals and reach them quickly? It's all, it's in, it's imperfect action. Move, 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 call. I have a real simple theory and actually not a theory. I have a real simple concept. If I want to get somewhere, then I find somebody who's there already and ask them, hey man, how'd you get there? <laughs> Amazing, right? It's like, it's a secret, um, you know, but you know, I mean, that's what I do. And like, you know, I do it all the time. Like now, you know, I don't know if you know, we're starting this investment fund, right? It's already started. We're, we're finishing up the PPM, which means it's gonna be listed. So we listed, uh, it's called um, Have Investment Fund, um, Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment Investment Fund. Have is also the umbrella organization for all of our veteran, the veteran or tribe or council and all this stuff that we're doing. And this was the same way. I reached out and asked, how do you do it? And the guy's like, well, you know, why don't you show me some projects? Show him some project. And he was like, damn, where'd you get these projects? These are amazing. He said, we could fund them for you, but why don't you start a fund? We'll help you out. We'll get it set up for you. And then you, you, you do all the work. I'm like, bet. And that's what's happening. Like I literally three months ago, had no idea how to run an investment fund. And now we have a hundred million dollar investment fund. Let, let, let's talk. I want to back up just a touch. Let's talk about the have because uh, obviously, you know, what's going on in the group that we, you were added on to this morning. Uh, you are motivating a ton of people with, with that concept. Uh, and, and I, you know, I know we haven't talked about DP at all, but DP talks about this all the time that now is our time. 
as yeah. veterans, you know, I, I told my wife the other day, I feel like today, right now, this time frame is just like World War II when the guys are coming back and opening all kinds of businesses and just blowing up. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. And I think have encapsulates that perfectly. Well, as, as a microcosm, we are, <clears throat> but most people on the outside don't know about it. That's, that's what have is all about. Have is about changing the, 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 the paradigm of how people see veterans. It's about bettering our input into the civilian world, into the into society as a whole. So they don't see us as damaged or disgruntled or whatever. Have is partially about that. It's a, it's a huge umbrella organization that we're creating. It's going to have media. It's going to have publishing. It's going to have all this stuff in it. <clears throat> and, and yes, it's our time and we're doing the work, but no one knows it yet. Not not many people know it unless they're connected to veterans. And if you remember in World War II, well, you don't remember, but if you read about World War II, everyone supported a veteran immediately when they came home and they saw and they supported and they grew the economy and that kind of stuff. So um, we're, we're along the same lines um, uh, as, as, as far as getting that paradigm shift in people's minds. What is a veteran actually? You know, they're, they're, they're actually contributing to society, contributing to um, the economy, contributing to growth, contributing to education, all these kind of things. There's something else that I, that I, I, maybe you could elaborate on something that I've noticed also myself personally, because I really didn't know which direction to go. I knew I wanted to get out of working for the man and I didn't know how to do that. And of course I met, I met a lot of great people in the tribe and, and in Justin's uh, group, the zone of action, but, uh, uh, how do we, um, how do you explain, I guess, there's a huge sense right now that I feel like veterans are, are helping each other in a way that I've never seen before. Because it doesn't matter if you're a Vietnam veteran or if you're Gulf War or, you know, Iraq. If, it doesn't matter. Like, I served yeah. before all that. So I, what is your view, I guess, on, on, like, why is that happening? What's going on in our community that all of a sudden we're all trying to help each other out? Um, well, it's called organization, right? So, you know, you have to get used to each other first. You have to get to know each other first. That, that's what the Vetpreneur Tribe was, right? So in, in our space, there's other there's other things out there, not just Vetpreneur Tribe, but the vet, vet, Vetpreneur Tribe got us to know each other, and then you solidify who actually wants to take action, who actually takes their business serious, and then join the Warrior Council. The Warrior Council then helps each other coordinate. Now, <clears throat> what we do in the Warrior Council is a little different. We don't go in there and teach you guys something every single day, and you guys take notes and then go away and try to implement it. We use a warrior council, and that's why it's only $49 a month. We use a warrior, warrior council to bring you together, to get you to talk to each other, so we can help you facilitate winning with each other, partnerships and all kinds of things, like, like the British um, veteran who joined and now has a partner in America, LLC, the whole works. That's what it's all about. That's the difference. So we're not, we're not doing it for us. We're not doing this course for us, for us to make money. right? We don't make any money. It's 49 bucks a month, believe me. Um, and so when, when, when people come in, we're doing it. For the veteran movement because we see the bigger picture of half that bigger picture is much more important to us than 49 bucks a month right now you'll see once the fund comes out why it's 49 dollars a month and that they are actually investing in the fund with that money in order to grow the movement and the fund and they will receive stock options for that as well for what they've already paid in the warrior council you for instance you will receive stock options warrants Right. for when, you, when we roll this out because of what you paid into that you've built a community you've helped to build this community you've helped build the movement and therefore you're going to be receiving stock options for that warrants you know and and so it's a, it's a, it's a much bigger picture that we really can't go into yet because we actually don't have all the moving pieces we have the foundation we have the support we have the money the money we need to make it happen 
and uh, we're just going to take it from there. So that that whole look, collective consciousness. Once enough people think of one thing, everyone thinks of it. It's like the two-minute mile, right? It was never broken until like the 60s. One guy broke it, and within two years, 150 people broke it, right? So forever, no one could run that fast, and then suddenly, within two years, everyone could run that fast. It's a collective consciousness. Once people hear about it, know about it, talk about it, more and more people hear about it, then it becomes reality. That's that's why there'll never be a shortage of money for, for anybody who wants to make it. There'll never be a shortage of anything because once the collect, collective consciousness realizes we need more, it will create more. And so that's, in my opinion, that's what's happening. Quantum physics, if you will. I, I, you know, I really want to point something out because there's a lot of guys that are doing this. You know, you and Lane, Justin, some of the other guys uh, that are in the groups. But, you know, the information that you give away, the information that you put out there, whether it be the tribe or whether it be the warrior council, mostly war, I know it's warrior council, but yeah. uh, people pay tens of thousands of dollars for coaching and information like that. Right. Uh, and yeah. and it's literally, I mean, yeah, there's a little money there just to, you know, I always say, you know, just to weed out the people who don't, you know, who are on the fence. Well, it's accountability. It's yeah. Accountability. But how do you explain? Because I think it's really important feeding into the fact that people have the stigmatism about what veterans are. Yeah. Old, crusty, pissed off, crazy people. Yeah. Uh, so so how do you explain? You know, people like yourself, like Justin, like all these other people giving literally thousands of dollars of information away. Well, we, we do it for the veterans, don't we? I mean, I have clients that pay me that. So I have civilians that pay me that because that's what I do. I'm a turnaround consultant, right? So I turn around businesses, I fix them. So my fees are more than $10,000, right? So it's they're higher. So I can afford to do this for the veterans. And the 49 bucks a month, is paying for admin and 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 you know an assistant to take care of all the posts and all the postings and the, and the zoom and all this kind of mailing and you know all that kind of admin stuff so we we do it because we can you know it's not our business it's not our business where we're we're doing it for 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 money for revenue we do our other businesses for revenue. we have the book we have the course i have my consulting lane has his 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 coaching um, and we do our coaching and consulting together as well. So we make our money there and everything else we do for the veteran space because we see this movement. This is our chance to change it forever. This is our chance to create a new paradigm of where people go, man, those veterans are kicking ass. Like they're doing something. Like, like they're they're not just out there leading, but they're inclusive, right? They're not, they're not saying it's ours and you damn civilians. We're inclusive. We're taking leadership of the entire space. We're straddling both worlds, right? Not, but this, right? <laughs> no Illuminati or whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever they call it. <laughs> um, um, we're, we're straddling both spaces and we're bringing it together. We're bridging that gap between civilian and veteran. Because in my personal opinion, and I speak for Lane as well, is that there's too much competition. There's too much hate. There's too much division in the veteran space that we just need to come together and quit trying to, try, trying to compete against each other. This, we're all touched by this. And this is what HAVE is all about. Yeah, I, I, it's been such an amazing uh, journey for myself just to watch the things that are going on and to uh, have joined the council when I did, you know, kind of on the fence. Uh, Justin was kind of a, a, a push in that direction for me because uh, he is a, a mentor, you know, he's a business mentor. And so to see all these things just keep, you know, filing in place and then, to see it growing and not just in our community, but in other veteran communities 
you see this whole thing just pulling together. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just been absolutely amazing. So uh, I guess we're, we're going to, we'll finish the show with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about all the places that you've lived, where you're living now yeah. and why you live there. Okay. So I started out, I got out in Germany and I still have, I still have my business registered in Germany since 1996. So the business that I work with all over the world is still that business, right? Um, and I lived in Berlin. Uh, well, okay, it's two countries, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Spain, Portugal, UK, uh, Hungary, Poland. I'm missing one. Czech Republic. And not including USA is 10. Yeah. So, and, and they're all places I, and this is what I did was, I always had two or three contracts at one time. So I get a big anchor contract and I move to that country and then I get two other smaller contracts. And I do, so I moved to Czech Republic, get three contracts, move to Poland, get three contracts. And, but it was crazy contracts. Like in Poland, God, I had this idea that, okay, I, I looked into it. You know, you know what payday loans are in America, right? Uh-huh. Well, they don't have anything like that here in Eastern Europe, right? Well, they didn't. And I said, man, that's it. Wonder what the regulations are here. So I, I checked into it. There were none. All you had to do is open a company. You could start lending money. <laughs> so a company for like 150 bucks, an LLC or whatever it was, it's less than an LLC, a GBR, but we opened up an LLC. Went to Poland, literally went to Poland, found out they don't have bank accounts. Most of the people that could use these loans. So I went to the States with a friend and we ended up, um, God dang, we ended up, um, um, uh, starting uh, talking to a guy who owns uh, uh, the two largest payday loan companies in America, and we talked him into sponsoring us to do this company. And so he said, "Here's 50k, make it happen, prove the concept, come back in three months, and we'll fund you with 10 million dollars." And so I spent three months in Poland, right, setting this thing up, pre-sale, the whole works. But you couldn't do any any tech because no one had any bank accounts. So we, I literally. And this might, for Eastern Europe, this is still legit, but and I know in America you can't do this, but I had girls in hot shorts and bikini tops going out into the park with flyers and gummy bears. <laughs> and a list like, hey, get your first loan free of charge. You just have to pay the interest. Um, and here's, here's, here's some gummy bears, here's a flyer. What's your name and number? We'll call you when we get back to the office. And within three months, we had our first loans and loans paid back. We proved the concept, got the money, and, and moved from there. I had never done a bank or anything like that in my life. And it was like, I just treated it like a health club. Like, okay, how do I get people to join a health club? It's got to be that easy. And it was. And we, we literally dropped, we call it knock and drop. We knock on the door, open it up, drop it in the mailbox, the flyers. And, you know, in the, in the poor areas of Poland, there was um, uh, like 200 apartments in one high rise. So you had like 200 mailboxes. Yeah, just like that. So it was real easy. Did 5,000 flyers a day. And me as one of the owners, I, I dropped it as well. I was out there four or five hours a day dropping flyers with the other guys. You know, I didn't care. And we kept a, a really tight budget. And then uh, we needed employees ASAP because we started getting such feedback. So I called a, a local sort of quasi bank, like a private bank. And I said, I, I need to, and they had out, they had um, out, outside salespeople. And I said, I need to talk to your regional director ASAP, right? Big problem. And he got on the phone. I said, hey, um, we're starting a new bank, a lending institution. What are you earning? I'll double it. Wow. And I said, can you come? He said, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> he showed up, brought four guys with him. 
uh, and we took over the market. And today it's one of the largest. It's I think it is the largest private lender in Poland. How did you do that? Do you speak Polish? No, I don't need to speak Polish, man. You don't have to do anything. It's all it's all about delegation and empowerment. Jeez. I got the most amazing uh, promotion team. I got people that were local that knew the market. I brought people on that knew knew how to do what they were doing, and I just said, "Do it." That's insane. And you're in Budapest now, right? Yeah, now I'm in Hungary. I'm in, I'm outside of Budapest. I'm actually in a small village of two thousand people. I live in this little village. It's an old German village um, from Schwaben. Um, so it's sort of cool. My kids get to learn German, and uh, they speak English and Hungarian and learn German. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. That's awesome. And of course, I've traveled all over too. So I, you know, I Hong Kong and Dubai. We go to vacation all the time. Dubai, Italy, one of my favorite places. Italy, you know, was during the, the in August between the two lockdowns, uh, I went to Lake Como in Venice. It was empty. I was just in Peru. Went on Machu Picchu with Lane. There was twenty people there. There's usually three thousand. We literally had Machu Picchu to ourselves. It was crazy. It was just. It was incredible. Yeah, Connie and I are going to get to go to Honduras here in May. Uh, to go actually visit the farm where we're getting our coffee from. Oh, nice. So that's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, and they're doing a bunch of mission work there. They're building buildings, infrastructure, stuff that they don't have, putting electricity in homes, stuff like that. But, right. Uh, wow. I want to thank you for your time. Um, you give us a last thought. I mean, anything you want, anything off the top of your head. Um, about what? Anything. Um, look, um, you know, I, I think I think uh, what we can say is that the only thing that holds anybody back is yourself. I don't care what, what kind of excuse you have or who did what or why this happened or why that happened or whatever. If you look to the outside for reasons, you'll always find one. But the true power is on the inside. We can we get quit wasting your 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 energy and your power on things that are negative, on grudges, on getting pissed off about social media or whatever. Just just drop all that stuff. Live for you, live for the energy inside of you, elevate others around you, create a barrier of positivity so that negativity never even touches you. And uh, I, again, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy uh, and, and I really do appreciate you. I was really hoping that uh, Lane would have got out of the mountains soon enough and we could have done it together because I think the two of you together, but we'll, we'll plan that for a future. Yeah, yeah we future. flow well together. We, we flow well together. We're just like, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, y'all do. And so uh, I really look forward to working with you guys more. Uh, if you're in the Vet Penor tribe and you haven't joined the council yet, I strongly recommend it. You can just just a little tiny bit of glimpse that you got of Steve today. I'm, it's like times a thousand uh, in the council. And it's really he really does. You know, people in your position are not approachable normally. So if yeah. you're the warrior council, if you're the Vet Penor tribe, you have open access to Steve and Lane. Uh, and, and, you know, every week when we meet, Steve is working everybody's problems and anybody who needs anything. And, and he's, you know, it's just an incredible opportunity. Uh, and if you're not in either one of those groups yet, if you're one of my listeners and you're a veteran and you've got an uh, uh, entrepreneurial spirit about you, or you've got a, an idea that you want to do, you know, join the vetpreneur tribe, get into the council and, and get some, you know, high value coaching that you're not going to get anywhere yeah. you know, for, for, for the little part that you have to put in. So zero theory. Uh, yeah. No, no theory. Uh, I really appreciate it. Again, I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where have is going to go. Oh yeah. Uh, 
and and how that's gonna i mean i just love it again that stands for humble alpha veteran empowerment yes and and just the sound of that man it just right gets me excited just hearing those words together uh gets me motivated there it is humble yeah. alpha veteran empowerment yeah and uh, uh you, can I have it all. you can have it all. you can have it all i can't wait till that all rolls out so uh, i'm going to give you the last line here that you end all your stuff with and uh tell us what it's about steve it's all about quality of life all right head tight i'm going to put us in the green room and i'm going to end the show Hey, folks, there it is. Uh, that is uh, episode 19 uh, of God Country Coffee. I can't believe we're already at 19. Uh, Brian Gibson, my brother, and uh, thanks for coming in and, and putting your plug in your stuff. Uh, you need to come on the show and, uh, and plug everything uh, that you're doing because you're doing some incredible work. Maxwell Soaps, uh, if you haven't bought Maxwell Soaps yet, their tagline is don't be nasty, <laughs> which I think is incredible. Uh, Soldier Girl Coffee, uh, that's our friend Carrie. And uh, she just uh, opened up that, that company on her own, doing a great job. Uh, Brian Gibson uh, is funding a home, basically a hotel that they bought uh, for veterans. And he put the... Uh, uh, he put it up in the in the uh, comments earlier, so I encourage you to uh, to review that. Review the comments. It's called Project Die Hard Twenty Two. Uh, also, you can see my tagline right here: the Nonprofit Architect Veteran Podcast Network. Um, reach out to that. You know that is uh, Travis Johnson, and and he's just uh, amazing. And then. I gotta give you. I gotta. I gotta mention one last person here uh, before before we close this down all the way. But uh, my trainer Brian Stacy, he goes under PK Stacy uh, in the groups. He's an amazing, amazing, high speed, low drag, uh, you know, personal trainer. He does it in person and he does online training. And I gotta tell you that uh, us working on our um, our shop out here the other day, it was uh, the first 90 degree day we had. I didn't realize that I wear two t-shirts and then I wear an FR rated button down shirt when I'm welding. And I got out there uh, before Connie left for work, it was still dark. Uh, and I came in after dark and I welded all stinking day long and I rolled around the dirt and I moved these big 250 pound plates around. Uh, and, and it was just an extremely physical day. I promise you a month ago before I started working with Brian, there's no way I could have got through that, through that day uh, and the days since. And so, uh, and yes, coach, I did my workout today, but I didn't record it. I love you. I'm doing the work. I'm committed. Uh, if you want somebody who will call you up and, and check on you and ask you what you're doing and what you're eating, uh, Coach Brian is the way to go. He's super high motivated. He's very knowledgeable. He's a certified personal trainer. He's an Army Master Fitness trainer. He's got all these uh, education certificates and certifications uh, to get you to that next level. Um, seven years ago, I was training for a triathlon, 
and my goal is to is to make make that that dream of doing a triathlon next year in March uh, a reality, and Coach Brian's going to get me there. So uh, that's Tricon Fitness. Uh, again, I'm going to put his I'm going to put his name in the in the show notes over here. It's I'm just going to put his name. It's PK Stacy, and then uh, you can hit him up, and uh, and and you can oh they came up already. Okay, uh, this is his. Facebook name, PK Stacy, and uh, it's Coach Brian. Hit him up and see what he can do for you. I promise you, you're not going to regret it. Uh, again, I also put my cousin's name up here earlier, Roman Chapa. Uh, he's a, if you weren't, if you missed the beginning of the show, he's a jockey. He was injured in a race uh, in, um, in Georgia week before last. And I just encourage you, uh, if you're the praying type in your circles, please add my cousin. Uh, he's not in good shape. He's innovated. He's, you know, completely under. He's been that way uh, for more than a week now. He's got brain bleeds uh, along with a whole bunch of broken bones and and things like that. And so um, please keep him in your prayers. Keep us in your prayers. Remember to treat one another the way God intended us to treat each other with love, kindness, and respect. I love you guys. Uh, we're going to have some great video next week. We're having an, an event here on my property. It's a have event. What's, what Steve was just talking about, the humble alpha uh, veteran empowerment. And and Joe Palacios, my, my friend and owner of Maxwell Soaps, is organizing. He's the one who kind of set the intention for the whole thing. We're calling it the have mission 1.0 the very first mission um and so far we've got five or six people from all over the state from houston and dallas dallas is far houston is far uh people from corpus we've got uh the owner of southpaw laser concepts uh jd tierney he's coming up from corpus we got big spoon chris shivers coming down from dallas we got joe palacios and um kennedy page coming from houston and there's there's several others that have shown interest. So uh, hit us up on the on the tribe. Hit 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 my my webpage up. Joe and I are going to be pushing out the information. We have a little form that we can send you about the details. Uh, we're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner here on Saturday. We're going to serve breakfast on Sunday morning. Uh, and uh, we have ten acres. So bring your tent, bring your RV, uh, bring your cot. It's probably going to be hot enough to be outside. Uh, but, you know, this is a great um, opportunity, not just to help, because what the whole thing is to help me finish my coffee shop. We're going to finish framing it out and doing all the work, but it's really about the networking between veterans. Uh, and so we're going to collectively meet as veterans and we're going to see how we can help one another. You know, Kennedy Page is a graphics designer. He did all our new logos. Uh, Joe's got the soap business. Uh, Chris has businesses up in Dallas. Uh, you know, JD's got the hat business. Uh, and he's also got a great uh, uh, podcast that he's also started. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot of networking going on, seeing how we can help one another. So if you're one of my listeners and you're not on the tribe and you're not in the council, but you are a veteran, uh, like Robert Torres, he's coming out. He's one of my local uh, Marines uh, who's trying to start a business. Come on out. 
get together with some other veterans who are already collaborating um, and and just be part of it. it I think it's going to grow into something really big. And that, that's what we're hoping for. And so uh, with that being said, uh, catch us, you know, during the week for updates. And um, until next week, love you guys. God bless. <laughs>